Blue Collar Fitness. What is Blue Collar? Blue Collar is a mindset and attitude, and it's work that you can be proud of. I'm Trevor Powers. I'm Connor Burton. And I'm Josh Sargent. Whether you go to the gym, work at the gym, own the gym, or if you're just a creeper pretending to do curls watching girls on the elliptical, this podcast is for you, even you. How's it going? Dr. Mike, how you doing, man? Good. I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are thriving. Welcome, sir. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the producer and the life coach of the show. Um, my name is Trevor Powers. And I'm, Josh. And I'm Connor. Do you guys know that Trevor lives in his car? Is that a concern? Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how well our podcast is doing. That's good. He can afford a, a personal vehicle. That's I mean, hey, Actually, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys outside of Gold's Gym that live in their van. So you know, all for the gains, right? Yeah. I'm out, I'm out hunting. Yeah, exactly. But how many of those people have a fucking crossbow? <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot, Always man. Always packing, man. <laughs> we, we just want to say, say on uh, you know, all four of us, like, we love your program. And on behalf of uh, Blue Collar Fitness, uh, thanks for your time, Mike. We, we really appreciate it. Oh, me me and Josh. Much. My pleasure. Yeah, me and Josh loved your, your uh, five-week hypertrophy program. And we ran it this year. And we made some great um, – we actually did a 10-week transformation. And uh, that's helped a lot with our personal training. So it's been Very a huge cool. help. Yeah, you guys look pretty jacked, man. Working on it, dude. And speaking of getting jacked and tan, um, here at Blue Car, we like to do uh, icebreaker questions. So, speaking of Jack, um, what's your favorite Dragon Ball Z character? Because we love Dragon Ball Z, we know that you do too. So, what's your favorite character, or who is your favorite character, and why? Can I give like a more complicated double answer? Let's go. Yes, sir. Let's go for it. <laughs> go for it. So, if I had to pick one, it's Vegeta um, for the for the drama the tragedy um always second best yeah but like i don't believe that you know i don't choose to believe he's second best but uh, it is because like it's the the draw of the glory of he knows he has purpose you know what i mean like he's destined for things and he knows that and it's oh there's every other thing he says is just beautiful um but then there's a special place in my heart for broly um because why not be eight foot 11 and 700 pounds and right. just completely unstoppable. Uh, so yeah, two part answer. Heck yeah, man. Like, and I will say chaos. real quick, every now and again, like, uh, like at jujitsu, uh, there's like kids around, you know, the kids class gets done and some kid will be wearing a Dragon Ball Z shirt. And I'm, I always do this stupid thing. I try to interact with children. I'm never very good at it. So I'm like, hey, you know, what's your favorite Dragon Ball Z character? And they're always like trunks. And I'm always thinking to myself, like, who answers something stupid like that? <laughs> of, course, of course you're eight years old. You know, I want to be like, well, that's wrong, but that's okay because you're real young. You have plenty of time to change to Vegeta. Or like one kid was like, uh, I like kid Gohan. I'm like, next, next. Oh, <laughs> oh, don't tell and me they said Krillin. Yeah, Krillin nobody has said yet, right? But I was just, you know, kid, I'll see you at the homeless shelter in 20 years. So you're going nowhere for life. <laughs> I'm starter. <laughs> that was a, oh, a big inspiration for, for, for a lot of us was uh, watching those those types of anime cartoons growing up. I, we loved all the muscles and stuff. And yeah, man, get jacked is what we're all about. But uh, yeah, so uh, Mike, what got you to where you are today? Like you have a lot of success with Renaissance Periodization, YouTube channel, your business, um, you need a PhD. Like what is it that makes you special and unique on your journey? That's a big question. That's a, That's a big, big ass question. question. <laughs> my mom said I was real special. Actually, my mom never said that. Uh, my mom is an Ashkenazi Jewish woman. She, she's like, don't fuck this up. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> worry, worry more. Um, have you guys ever, what is that show on Netflix, Big Mouth? Do you guys know that show? Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah, one of the guy's moms is, he's Jewish. And he's like going to his first sleepover and she turns to him in the car. She's like, remember, be afraid of things. <laughs> That's amazing. Advice. Just be afraid of stuff. Um, what, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, how politically correct of an answer do you want? 
Oh, not at all. Be, your, be yourself. Be, be, be as uh, loose as you want to. We, we, are, we are very real here. Cool. I'm really smart. <laughs> really smart. <laughs> uh, I've been tested in a bunch of tests and I'm always gifted and all that stupid bullshit, um, which when they tell you when you're eight doesn't really mean anything to you because you still have no friends and you cry yourself to sleep every night. Uh, <laughs> but uh, really, that's just it. That's my life story. Uh, this, is rough. This, is, this is turning for the worst. I was I that guy this. that liked to go <laughs> See, that was me as an eight-year-old. So That's um, why you hate him so much. <laughs> exactly. He, I liked him and I didn't have any friends. Uh, Vegeta taught me to hate friends. Um, so, uh, no, but on a serious note, um, you know, there's a combination of factors, of course. Uh, being pretty sharp genetically definitely helps with success because then you, you got something, to, you know, if you're motivated to do things, you have an ability to do them. Uh, but I probably, one of the biggest uh, advantages that I have is I, I, I used to worry a whole lot and I used to be really um, afraid of failure and that prevented me from doing a lot of cool stuff. And then I, I realized by reading various books and sort of experimenting and going through life, somewhere in my mid twenties, I realized that the, the way to success is just to calmly do something meaningful and productive that you've intelligently planned out. Just do a little bit of it every day until you get tired and then don't overwork yourself, relax, watch some Dragon Ball Z, train with weights, eat a few meals, wake up and repeat and you just slowly chip away at that thing and then all of a sudden you've made this incredible thing that's how I got my PhD I finished my PhD earlier than almost everyone in my well everyone in my class by like months because I just like sat at the lab a while and it's not like I overworked myself it was like fucking grind brothers and fucking bleeding out of my eyes looking at a computer screen like no like but I four or six hours a day I worked and just really consistently and calmly and I got tired I rested um, I feel like I'm describing Forrest Gump's run across the United States when I, when I was tired, I slept, you know, like the worst running periodization anyone's ever described. Um, too stupid for sports science. Um, but in any case, also real quick, what fiber type is Forrest Gump? Who knows? He was the best sprinter in Alabama's football team and a cross country runner. That doesn't make any sense, right? He's got all, all of them. All of them. Are just awesome. All of them some fusion powered fiber that doesn't work on human rules. <laughs> but in any case, I think a big, huge ticket to success is slowly and calmly working on your craft or making things. Like, let's say you want to build a website to represent your brand really well. Um, you're not going to do it in a day or a week, but just work on it for a couple hours a day. And if you mm -hmm. feel like frustrated and it looks like crap, get away from it for a little while, work on some other stuff, come back, work on it, work on it. After a while, you're going to be able to build some really incredible things that people are like, Oh my God, how did you do this? And it was like, yeah, I struggled and I bled. Like, maybe there's none of that. Maybe that's just like, yeah, like I worked on it a bit all the time for a really long time. And then voila, uh, you know, here, here's this cool success. Like for, for example, uh, we're working on the YouTube channel now at RP, which is growing really fast, which is nice. And people are saying like, oh my God, how do you come up with all this YouTube content? I have a goal to come up with a, you know, a couple presentations every week. But the thing is a couple presentations every week adds up after a bunch of weeks. And all of a sudden you have a ton of presentations. You do that for a couple of months, you have a crap load of presentations and people are like, where did all these come from? You know, like a couple of presentations here and there, it's just not that impressive. You know, somebody asked him, what did you do today? Like, oh, I made three new YouTube presentations. They're like, okay, oh, holy, don't work too hard. You know, but if I do that, that four mean? days a week, that's 12 presentations a week, you know? And if we release three of them on YouTube, then every week I build a buffer of four times the number of presentations we can possibly release. And then I build a buffer of years of YouTube videos before we even release them. Uh, and I go, oh my God, I, that's just crazy. It's just content content. You guys are like, you know, in four years, I'm still gonna be charging out the same amount of YouTube content. You're gonna be like, oh my God, like how is he still going with all these informative presentations? Well, the, the, those are the ones that I wrote four years ago. Because uh, just consistency, I guess, you know? And I know that's not a very sexy answer, um, I'm supposed to talk more about suffering and sacrifice, but that's bullshit. But, yeah. Probably Russian blood too. Russian blood. <laughs> Damn it, that's the one. Yeah. Go back to Russian roots. My eyes. Yeah, I can feel the cold winds of the north, and I draw my, <laughs> my silver sword, and you know, there's all these monsters. Yeah, your ancestors fighting bears. It was funny, stuff, like like, yeah. like Mark Bell said that uh, he's like, of course he's strong. He's Russian. I was like, there goes the Russian um, joke again. That was that was hilarious <laughs> for sure. Yeah, well, compared to other Russians, I'm probably not that strong. You know, I'm just average. I, when I was in Russian elementary school in Russia, uh, I was not a gifted athlete or whatever. And as a matter of fact, I remember this is, of course, insane, very Russian. 
I was like six and we were doing boxing in gym class, like live boxing. We had gloves, but like people were hitting each other in the face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Can you guys imagine the social justice warrior situation in the United <laughs> States? If there was like six year old boxing. Oh my God, at school, at regular public school. This isn't like a sport thing. And I remember like the other kids were taller than me and had better reach and I was just getting pummeled. And I'm like, that's like my one really like memorable sport experience from the Soviet Union. Yay. <laughs> Trevor's, Let's bring uh, that over here. Tre Trevor's fiance is Russian and she's five foot nothing, but I'm afraid of her. You should be. Yeah, <laughs> she, she, she's like, <laughs> she's perfect in so many ways and I think she can bench lift me. Yeah, and like the willingness to hurt is something yeah. Russians have. You have this ingrained American morality where you care about people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then Trevor's looking at his crossbow, like, okay, I still have my crossbow. It's still here. Protection. <laughs> Trevor safe. So I want to turn things over a little bit. You've done a little bit of research on programming, you know, and periodization. You have a little bit of experience there. Um, I think a lot of. Um, trainers, strength coaches, pro, um, people that are really nerding out on programming or even just your average gym bro can get really uh, caught up in the weeds with, with programming. And could, could you maybe talk about the differences between programming for a beginner versus an intermediate and an advanced lifter? I know you could do like a three hour discussion about this one topic probably, but maybe a, sure. like a, you know, a, a brief overview of, of the differences. Like three trying to write one. that. Um, totally. So like the thing with beginners is you want to focus kind of on two things. One is building a base of technique and two is consistency. Like if you get beginners to come in and just do the fundamental movements and really focus on having good technique, you get them come in three or four days a week. It doesn't really matter how hard they're training. Because beginners look at weights and grow, but there's no weights to look at if you don't make it to the gym. So, uh, and a lot of times beginners can get real excited. Nothing about beginners is they don't really know what's good for them. Like when an advanced athlete, if you coach an advanced athlete, you're like, hey, what do you think about the hack squat? Like, I'm interested in hearing that person's answer because the guy, my, my knees don't like it, but I love leg pressing. Great, we'll do leg press. I don't really care what a beginner thinks about a hack squat. They don't even know what it is. A lot of times beginners will tell you like, I want to train six days a week. Like, yeah, I understand you want that, uh, but you have no idea what it is you actually want. Um, you're going to burn out like you know, easily, right? Uh, like, <laughs> this is a word, terrible analogy. I should, you never should have invited me on your show. This is <laughs> but like, um, say it, say it. <laughs> you know, when you're like 12, you honestly say like, I'd love to hang out with my favorite porn star. You know, like, like no, you wouldn't <laughs> trust me. <laughs> like I, she's so beautiful. I'd spend days with her. Like, no, nobody can spend days with her. Trust me. <laughs> the cigarette smoke alone is going to, you're not going to, you think you want to, but you don't. <laughs> right. So it's like girls that get crushes on Hollywood actors. Like I want to marry him. Like you don't want to be married to that man. <laughs> There's that's a ghost. There's nobody behind that. Those eyes, right. There's no soul, but just the same way beginners will say, I want this. I want that. And uh, you, as a coach, you kind of want to be like, hey, no, I totally hear you. Let's get you in the gym three times a week, work on whole body training, stick to some very simple movements, just get you real proficient in squatting, pressing, pulling, hinging, and then some arm stuff and shoulder stuff. And then, and then you really reward them for their technique. You're like, dude, your upright rows are looking real good. And as a reward, not psychologically, but technically, when their technique is good, you can add weight to the bar. But if their technique ever degrades or stops improving, you don't add any weight to the bar because you guys have all seen this before, beginners who let weight get away from them and they're like all of a sudden like, hey, I'm deadlifting 225. Like you're deadlifting 225. It looks like you're be, like, you know, giving birth to a demon or something like that. Like <laughs> I've seen exorcists, I know what you're doing. Um, so, you know, it's not uh, something you want because number one, they can get hurt. Usually they're too weak to get hurt, but they learn these poor movement patterns. And then for the rest of their lifting career, they're gonna be impinged by it considerably. So that's what you do with beginners is you slowly build their strength while emphasizing their technique, while having them come to the gym, maybe three, two to four times a week and no more than that because they'll burn out. With intermediates, you really start, if they want, come to the gym a little bit more often, three to five times a week. Now they have a really good technical base of they really like know how to do the exercises well. Now that they know the technique well, you still of course put more load on the bar, but now you start exploring with them how to train a little bit harder pushing closer to failure because what they think may be failure may not be failure. So 
you say, okay, I want you to put five pounds on the bar every week. And I want you to get the same number of reps you did last week. And then maybe like if after week three, they're like, there's no way I can do more reps. I'm like, shut up, do the same, do 10 again. They're like, yeah, but I did 10 with 200 last week. This is 205. They're like, it looks like you're going to have to do 10 and you're going to die right here in the squat rack. And then they do 205 for 10, they rack it and they're like, oh, I think I have more reps in the tank. Like, no shit, I knew that. So you, the intermediates, you push further and further until they find their limits. And through that process, they gain a ton more muscle. They'll also be playing with their volume that they're doing. Could be doing three sets of bench three times a week or three sets of chest. And like, you know, they're like, yeah, I feel like it's getting me a little sore, and I, but I, I heal real comfortably. You add a little bit of volume and see how they respond. So they progress that way. And then for advanced, and also for intermediates, you're going to start to do some different exercise selections to see what fits their body better. And they actually can tell you now what they feel in the muscle versus the joint and stuff. So they're a little bit more informed. And then after their immediate stage, they're not going to know how to train hard. And they're going to know which exercises they really like and really don't and which one they're really suited for. And they're going to know their volume landmarks, their minimum effective volume, maximum recoverable. And when they're advanced, now you really care about things like mind-muscle connection. You care about altering exercises so that the stimulus to fatigue ratio is really maximized so that, you know, your hack squats are feeling in the middle of the quad, not a little bit in your knee. And yeah, the external technique can look good both times. So for example, a beginner, if their external technique looks good to you, they're golden. An intermediate, if their external technique looks good to you, sweet, but are they pushing close to failure? And does the technique stay good when they're doing that? If that, great. An advanced person, those first two things should be rock solid. But then I still want to ask you like, hey, hey, where did you feel that? Because if an advanced person is like, I felt that really in my elbows and not in my triceps, we got a problem. We got to play with the technique a little bit because externally validated technique is not enough anymore. And then for advanced people, the coaching process is much more interactive. Um, like uh, I, I basically don't coach anybody except for my friends. And one of my friends is Charlie. He's the gigantic Korean person you may have seen on my social media. Yeah, I give I him a list of exercises and he sometimes swaps them out. I don't even put his weights in for him. I just give him rough rep ranges. He puts in all the weights. He decides the volumes because he knows how to do a volume progression. He knows when he's recovering. He knows when he's not. He knows when to back off. He knows when to go. And it's really more of like a creative process and a collaborative process between us. I'm not like, do this motherfucker. I'm just like, hey, here's a good idea to try. He starts doing it and then he adjusts it and comes back to me every now and again. It's like, what do you think I should do here versus here? So it's much more interactive for an advanced person than it is for a beginner who is really the more top-down coaching where you're like, you do this. You don't have to be mean about it. But, you know, they don't know what the hell is going on. <clears throat> it's kind of like, um, you know, if you don't know anything about cooking and you go to a high-level high, high restaurant, you know, you're just going to shut up and let the chef make you food, right? Like, you're not going to be like, well, I like this and that. He's like, you don't know what you should shut up. Here, try this. And you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> How did you do this? Like, you won't understand it if I explain it to you. But if you're another high-level chef and, and someone's like, you know, going to be cooking for your birthday party because you don't have time to cook for your party, you have a bunch of people coming over and you're a chef, you hire someone else to cook, they're going to be like, hey, what, uh, what do you want to do here? You're going to have a lot to say. And they're going to be like, great, great. I'm going to use paprika. Awesome. Got it. And then they'll go from there. You know, it's much more collaborative than that versus just super top down. So, you know, getting a little bit more into the, the actual workings of periodization, we hear you talk about minimum effective volume as well as reps and reserve a lot. In your videos, we see it in your programming. How do you calculate your athlete's minimum effective volume? And then also, when is it a good idea to utilize reps and reserve in your programs? Mm -hmm. So minimum effective volume can be calculated in fundamentally two ways. It can be proxied by seeing how much of a disruption, how much soreness, and how much of a pump you get. So like if you do a session of chest and you basically get no pump whatsoever, your chest doesn't get sore at all and you never fatigue your chest, like your chest never feels tired. The beginning of the chest workout, you're like, feel great. At the end, like, I feel great. Because it's unlikely you stimulated much of anything because wouldn't it be sweet if you gains without ever getting tired? It's just not a reality. So that volume you did, let's say it was one set of presses, probably not enough, right? But if you do two, three, four sets of presses, you get uh, fatigued. You get pumped, you're like, holy fuck. You guys know that feeling in your practice, you're like, some shit is right. happening for sure. <laughs> Someone's like, you, you warmed up, like warmed up, motherfucker, I'm damn near done over here. Um, and then <laughs> and then if you get like really like gnarly sore for a few days, I mean, nobody can tell you you're not doing enough volume. Like I've actually had people ask me like, hey, look at this quad program, is it enough volume? I'm like, do you get sore? They're like, I don't ever even recover. I just am sore consistently. I'm like, well, that's too much volume. Like there's 99 problems, but not enough volume can't be one of them. You physically get so sore that you can't, you guys imagine that? Like you're getting sore all the time and someone's like, you got to do more volume. Like how, <laughs> where, <laughs> where am I going to put this volume? So if you're recovering, if you're getting, if you're getting sore and if you're getting pumps, 
Uh, and if you're getting a, a sensation that the muscle is significantly fatigued after training, you're probably at or in excess of your minimum effective volume. So that's kind of like, you can rate it there. And if like, you honestly look at yourself and you're like, dude, this isn't really training. I'm not doing anything. You should probably do more volume or more frequency or whatever. Um, and then if you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting a good hit, then you're probably above your minimum effective volume. So that's how you would proxy that. Calculation is more objective, but it takes a while. You do whatever low volume you think is close to your minimum effective. And then you check to see if your muscles are growing one, two, three, four months later. One of the ways you can check to see that is if your repetition strength is robustly increasing. And if it's not, then there's a good chance you're not growing muscle. You know, especially a lot of times for hard gainer folks. So for example, people will say like, hey, like my back is weak. I'm not getting stronger on rows, pull downs or anything. They say, how, how much are you training your back? Like, well, I train it like three times a week with four sets every single time. And like, okay, it's 12 sets a week. Like, why don't you try working up to 16 and 18 and 20 sets a week over time slowly? And they start working up and not, not only do they get the proxies, we're like, dude, I'm actually getting pumps in my back and I'm getting a little sore now, but they'll be like, dude, I, I uh, started to get stronger on my exercises, especially after every time after I deload, I get this big bump in strength because I'm actually fatigued during the meso instead of just pitter pattering around. Mm -hmm. And then every time I deload, I come back a little stronger, like, okay, well, now that's direct evidence of muscle growth. So uh, that's kind of how you would objectively actually figure out if you're at minimum effective volume above. So those, those are the two ways to go about it. And as far as reps in reserve, um, you know, I think the real question uh, can be asked another way is why would you go to failure? And not a lot of people have a good answer to that. Um, I think the proxy answer most people give is just to stand in for bro bullshit like ego shit, like a fucking war out here, bro. Like, oh, you're so tough. Oh my God, you went to failure. Holy shit. Someone get the Congressional Medal of Honor for this guy. <laughs> like, it, 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 so the question is, if you look at the research, how hard do you have to train in order to maximize gains? It, close, close to failure to where the, the shit gets hard, right? So it's, it's this simple. If you're benching and you're doing this, and I'm done, and someone's like, the bar didn't slow down. You're like, nope, like, did it ever get hard? You're like, nope, like, Probably not a set that it maximizes hypertrophy. But if you get to a point where you're like, rack, like even that one rep of tough, ooh, you're into some growth, right? Now that all the way to, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Um, there's actually not a huge difference there probably in most applications. And maybe if you just do one or two more sets, sets really shy of failure start to be as, you know, the total workout starts to be as hypertrophic as a few less sets, but really, really super close to failure at failure. And then there's a question of the stimulus to fatigue ratio. You know, the, the big problem with failure, and a lot of people have pointed this out, truly going to failure in many instances is so massively psychologically fatiguing that the stimulus might be 10% bigger. I do truly believe that going all the way to failure per set does yield more muscle growth, okay? But it's like on the order of, you know, 10, 20, 30 more percent, which is a lot. The question is how much more fatigue? I think it's like double, triple, or quadruple. I mean, you guys, you guys all train, right? Going to, have, have you guys gone close to failure or like to failure on the set of leg press? True failure. Like not just giving up, but I'm talking about finding demons from your childhood when you were eight years Another old. 20 reps. Like, I've, had time, I've had times where I went to like a different dimension. 100%. Going like, hard. 100%. You like play and you're like in some alien city and they're like, what the fuck? And you're just in the middle of the leg press <laughs> and then you report back and they're like, what was uh, all the aliens die from radiation poisoning because you're so powerful at that point, you just exude it. Um, and then, uh, you know, that wouldn't that be sweet, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, a true set to failure, really close to leg, of leg press, you, one does not simply walk away from something like that. And people who pat themselves on the back and say they train really hard, rarely ever go truly to failure, even though it looks like they do. And if you do that, your ability to do leg press sets week to week to week turns into a huge struggle the amount of fatigue you're shitting out is so massive. You have to ask yourself, is it really worth it? So it's one of those things like I could do three sets of leg press a week and be maxed out for fatigue at my MRV essentially and not be able to do more than that. Or I could do, you know, if it's to failure or I could stop two reps shy in the tank, get 90% of the gains per set, but do six sets. And like, wait a minute, that adds up to way more than 100% of the growth. Like, yeah, sure as hell does. So I think that getting close to failure to where the sets are challenging is a very good idea setting a minimum bar at the beginning of the mesocycle of like, okay, I got 12 in the leg press. I was like three away from failure. Now I add a little bit of load every time or I add a rep every time and I don't let myself get any lower than that. I always progress. 
And then when you get to all max failure and you can't do any more, and then the next week you actually underperform, you're over your maximum recoverable volume. You can be positively sure you gave it your all. You take a deal, you recycle, and you repeat. So what I like to do is start nice and shy, failure three or four reps away, whatever that minimum, like, oh, this is tough. Start there and then slowly work up closer to failure by simply adding reps or a little bit of weight every time. And that takes care of the entire, so first of all, we train in that close to failure spectrum, okay? If you start here and you go here, that has to, all of the training has to be in that spectrum. It's not like you start at three or four from fail, and then weeks later, you're at five or six from fail. Someone's like, what the hell are you doing? Is your training getting easier? You're like, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not getting stronger, but I'm just going lighter each time. I don't know. Right? So you make it more challenging, and then you also check the box of, I'm not starting my mesocycles from crazy failure, which is way too much fatigue at the front end, but you do end them at crazy failure, not because they're, maybe because there's something magical about going to crazy failure, and maybe it does cause more muscle growth, but at the very least, going all out to failure to try to match your last week's effort and beat it is the only objective way you can know if you're really trying as hard as you think. Because I think we've all been around clients before where like last week, they're like, dude, there's no way I can add another five pounds to the bar and get the same number of reps. Or there's no way I can do 19 reps. 18 last week was all I had. And all of a sudden they do 20. Shut the fuck up. You got another week coming up where you do more. And then for four weeks, they just keep hitting PRs and they're like, oh, guess what I thought was three reps in reserve really wasn't like, yep, you were wrong. Now you're training much harder and now you're getting better gains. But the only objective way to figure that out is pushing yourself to an objective standard. And eventually either you get to failure and you can't perform anymore, or you become Brian Shaw, world's strongest man by just continuing to get stronger forever, which you know, is really the ideal. Be awesome. <laughs> so you got a, uh, you got a book out recently. Um, you want to talk about, talk about which, which, <laughs> it's uh well you have the uh you have the hypertrophy basics made simple um and then you also have the youtube uh, thing yeah the youtube thing you have your mini cut guidebook oh yeah and then and then uh you also have the uh what is what is this the other book i'm blanking on the name well the part that i read about you was uh in travis mash's um program sampler that's what i remember reading about your five-week hypertrophy program um Oh. You have a lot of good. You have a lot of good reads out there. I don't there. even remember writing that shit. It, it, it's <laughs> always great when the guest says, "Really, a book? What book? What, what book?" I do have a book <laughs> yeah. coming out in 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 right around a month. The hypertrophy. Gosh, the hypertrophy. <laughs> yes. yes. There we go. Yeah. I was like, "Shit, is that out?" I'm like googling myself. <laughs> um, That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, the hypertrophy book is coming out. It's scientific principles of hypertrophy training. Uh, it's gotcha. just in final stages of editing right now. It's going to be really, really sweet. It's really long. It's like three or 400 pages. It's got all kinds of charts and graphs and it's going to be super neat. It's going to break down all the ideas I've just been hinting at and talking about on YouTube for years now. It's going to break them all down super, super formally. It is for the advanced audience. Uh, so you guys will be able to make a lot of sense out of it. Some yeah, folks the, the, that buy the, it will maybe able to make much sense out of it. That's, that's porn for Josh. Oh yeah, great. Josh <laughs> loves the technical side of it. Yeah. Uh, we, we put oh, in yeah. some some racy pictures as well. So <laughs> perfect, perfect. They're of muscular some, men, just like some, you like. some some biopsies. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, is that a needle biopsy? <laughs> I just when you lock uh, that office door, you know. I'm in my first year of uh, grad school for kinesiology, so good for you. We're, uh, yeah, man. We'll we'll see if I make it to the PhD route. I'm. I'm uh, I'm debating right now if I can handle it. So it's so far so good. I maintain that so 4.0. We'll keep it going. Oh, go. good keep for you. Going. Where are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm going to Rocky Mountain University um, in uh, in Utah. I was so gonna say, don't my, say the Rocky Mountains. That would be a cop. Yeah, Nick uh, <laughs> Nick Winkleman <laughs> Nick Winkleman recommended it. He got his PhD there and um, was able to do a lot of it remotely. I have to go and do my thesis here in about 10 months um, for my master's in person. Very so cool. that'll be cool. And uh, I guess decide if I want to keep going, man. So sure. Well, best of luck to you. Grad school is not for everyone. But once you get your master's degree, you become not everyone. And you are elevated to a new level. So uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. And if, like if you want to do a PhD, that's also not for everyone. But if you if you're having some, you know, just send me an Instagram if you're having some doubts and thoughts about what it is. Why would I do this? Is this a good idea? And uh, I'll, I'll talk you out of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll talk you into whatever seems best. 
Awesome, man. I love, I'd love to talk more about it with you sometime for sure. For it's sure. uh, you, you and Brad Schoenfeld of um, both of you guys read, uh, read a, a lot of your stuff and it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring, man. I want to, I want to keep pushing the field farther. So yeah, I'm um, good. Brad's a liar and a hack. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, I, I've heard, I've seen the controversy online. You guys are always, you know, we, know, we put on a face that we like each other. I hate the guy, but he hates me more than I hate him. So I almost feel civil around him. because. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the fitness industry, but we always have drama, even in the, Tons even at the top, man, it's, it's full of uh, Dra- drama, full of just drama. like Vegeta. So can you talk about uh, a little bit more about your company and how you guys founded it, Renaissance Periodization? What, what, uh, what went into that? What was, what was the groundwork that you really had to lay out to get to where you are today? That's a good question. You know, if you guys want, I can recommend the co-founder, Nick Shaw. He actually just wrote a book on how to be successful in fitness and life because he's pretty All successful right. at both. I'm only successful in fitness. My life is a shamble. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, know, you guys might want him on their podcast at some point. He'd be happy to come on and talk about that book and success and stuff because he would really be okay, able to tell you much, much more of the, the RP thing. But um, fundamentally, like uh, Nick and I were friends from college where we were on the same lifting team. And then we found ourselves working as personal trainers in New York City and we're also trying to bodybuild and just get uh, more jacked and leaner. And at some point, uh, we just got real tired of fads. We saw fads everywhere at our own bodybuilding gym. People were like, oh, like what coach are you with? Like what kind of, what kind of training do you do? And we were like, periodization? And they're like, yeah, but like, what's the name? Like, who's the name? Just people are just obsessed with names. And our clients would come to us. And these were people that were you know, very uh, well, you know, these are New Yorkers, right? And they're finance, usually financial industry people. So among other people we trained, like, so for example, we trained the chief technology officer for Bloomberg Corporation, which is, they they literally owned a skyscraper across the street from our gym. (laughs) That was the Bloomberg building. It's like, right. Oh shit, that guy works there. And he's like the number three guy or something, right? When the thing is, is people like that, you would think are getting the best possible service and they're not getting like ripped off. They were just getting ripped off. I mean, they had fallen for every single fitness fad you could imagine. Like they would come in and this is a guy, I mean, you know, CTO of Bloomberg, this is a guy with an IQ that's not even fucking charted, right? He was so good at school. They didn't stop having him come to school at some point. They're like, why don't you just teach us? As a matter of fact, just go make money. Go, you don't need school anymore. And this is a guy, you know, like not him specifically, but tons of people worked with lawyers that went to Harvard and Yale. They were like, so no carbs, right? And we're like, why not? And they're like, well, the carbs are bad. They make you, they go to their fat. They make you have the fat. And I was like, what are you like a five-year-old child? This is like nutritionally. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. So we were like, you know what? These people, and, and, and we saw this not only with just New York's elite, but just with all tons of people just getting fucking ripped off. And we're like, you know what? Like, we want to, and we were helping people as personal trainers and as sort of diet consultants. And we just kept doing that. And we sort of founded this company together because we were referring clients to each other and stuff um, to try to just like help people do scientific and real world shit that worked without fucking ripping them off and lying to them. We're never going to lie to our clients. Um, and if that means we get really conservative results because we don't promise crazy shit and we don't rip them off, fuck it, fine. Because we thought that there was enough people out there that had been. Uh, can I swear on here? I suppose I've been yeah, swearing. Yeah, yes, sir. Go for it. Heck yeah, man. I'm just going to elevate my swearing to another level. Let the floodgates open. <laughs> People are just getting fucked in the ass by the fitness industry. And we're like, you know, we're not going to do any anal to these people. We're going to be super gentle about it. And if, if that's, you know, if we get fewer clients or fewer impressive results like that, we're totally fine with that. And it turns out so many people have been fucked violently asked by the fitness industry. A lot of them were over it. You know what I mean? Like they were just like, <laughs> you know, as you imagine going to crazy clubs with tons of amazing S&M sex. And then all of a sudden someone's like, do you want to just go to a lounge and listen to music tonight? You're like, yes, fuck for the love of God. Yes. Uh, there's nobody going to attack me. Right. Like, nope, just drinks. Like, oh, thank God. So a lot of people were in this place in the fitness industry where they're like, I just want shit to work, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get a lie to because, you know, you go through enough fitness fads. And you just, at some point, you think everyone's lying to you and everyone's got their quirk and their bullshit. And a lot of our clients at first, they didn't believe us. They were like, hey, we're going to like just eat healthy foods and we're going to reduce your food intake just a little, but you're not going to starve. We're going to have you do more physical activity and lift weights and you're going to slowly get in shape, but you're not going to change your whole life. Just going to be 15 pounds lighter and, and we'll see how that goes. And then we'll, we'll go from there. And they're like, okay, but so what food am I cutting out? Well, like you're not cutting out any foods. They're like, 
what's the catch? We're like, there's no catch. And they're like, no, no, I've been through this before. There's always a catch. And we're like, well, yeah, you pay Palace a hundred dollars every month, but they're like, that's nothing. That's not even money to me. This is nonsense. Um, fuck man. I had one client. He was like, uh, I want to hire you to be my nutrition coach. And this is when I was already at my PhD program. And I had trained him a couple of times in person in New York, but he wanted me to uh, hire him. Uh, he wanted to hire me as an online fitness coach for uh, diet stuff. He ended up being wildly successful. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Um, you know, let's talk about money, how much it's going to cost when he's like, okay, let's. And I'm like, what do you, um, what do you typically pay? And like, what, what is your budget? And he goes, Mike, I negotiate $200 million, $200 million company acquisitions daily. Just tell me what you want me to pay you. And I'm very comfortable negotiating if I don't like the number. <laughs> I was like, shit, I, went, I didn't want to impose and be like, it's this. Because, you know, like negotiations, <laughs> like, I don't want to be a greedy piece of shit. He's like, you're not going to impress me. And I'm like, all right. So I was like, $150 a month. He's like, great. Sounds great. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I didn't know what he's going to say to that. <laughs> so he's like, technically, I now own your grad school and you're bankrupt. I'm like, Jesus. Um, so that was really neat. And then so, so, so slowly over time, Nick and I would work uh, together with clients or separately, and we would refer one to each other. He was still in New York City, and he would train a lot of people in person. And then I would train a lot of people diet-wise from a distance. A lot of them are still in New York City. And some of these diet clients were referred by other people who were diet clients who never met Nick and they never knew uh, that there was in-person training in New York. And they were like, hey, like, you know, they started working with me and they started getting great, great results. And I always had this thing where we talked on the phone or we talked over email. I would just explain very calmly what we were doing and answer all their questions. So people have a lot of questions. I'm like, well, technically no, but here's why. I'm like, man, you're so good at explaining everything. I tried to ask my personal trainer for an explanation. He's more or less just told me to go fuck myself and trust the process. And I was like, that stinks. And they're like, yeah, I have a feeling he's not that smart. And I was like, well, yeah, it's not my place to tell you your trainer's an idiot. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, oh, that stinks. And they're like, do you know anyone in the city that's not an idiot? And I was like, yes, Nick Shaw. <laughs> and uh, they would be like, well, let me try him. And they'd go train with him. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. This is way better than my other trainer. So we started this kind of partnership. And after a while, we got tired of telling people like my friend, um, you know, Nick Shaw, like, who the fuck is your friend? It seems really informal. So we made this company, Renaissance Periodization, to be able to refer clients to each other. And after a while, we got so many clients, we couldn't take them all anymore. So we had to hire people from my PhD program that I was at at East Tennessee State to help us. And then we hired more and more coaches. And then people kept asking us like, hey, like, so why are we doing this kind of diet and not that one? Why are we not cutting carbs? Why are we cutting fats? Blah, blah, blah. And we really got tired of explaining the same shit over email. So I'm like, God damn it, I need to write a book so we can just send people the book. <laughs> um, and then, so we wrote a book, we reached out to Chad Wesley Smith at Juggernaut Training. And uh, we were like, um, are you, you know, do you want to publish our book? And he's like, yeah, sure. We wrote a couple articles for him and we published our book through Chad. And then we, uh, people liked the book. Uh, they started buying the book and they're like, wow, this is really like straightforward. There's no fads or gimmicks. And then after we published the book, during the time that I was writing the book, I realized that there's a, chap a chapter on designing your own diet where as I was writing it, I was like, hmm, this is an algorithm for how to design your own diet. And I can do, I can uh, design a piece of mathematics uh, to do this so a machine could actually design diets. I talked to Nick and I was like, I could probably do this through a really shitty Microsoft Excel spreadsheets, but we kind of need to make an app. He's like, all right, well, let's try the Excel thing. And that's when the diet templates came out and it's basically people just brand their own diets. And that was wildly successful and it blew up our company financially by 10 orders of magnitude or something. And then we got a lot of money from that. So we poured it in to multiple unsuccessful app development projects until one of them bore fruit. And now we have a really successful app that makes a gazillion dollars that designs diets based on how the book was. Oh shit, there it is. R RP Dino, um, can you see it? It's a little- Yeah, it's, a little it's mostly bright. just a really super bright white screen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought I was going to be Neo and be able to see the Matrix, but I was like like a, a much blind, you know, <laughs> blonde brunette. I, I don't know. They all look the same. Um, so then now we have an app and then we made training templates and we hired a bunch more staff. And now we're like, we're a real company. Like Pinocchio is a real boy. So, so it's kind of neat, but it all started from the place of stop ripping people off and give them shit that actually works. And then uh, it still does that. And so our, our app, it really just tells you this. And then you eat it for a while and it's like, okay, eat a little less and do a little more activity. And after a while you lose 15 pounds of fat and gain a couple pounds of muscle and you feel better. And we always say, you know, it's not going to change your life unless you want it to. And 
you're not gonna, we don't guarantee happiness or anything like that, but we do guarantee that you will lose some fat and gain some muscle. And I think a lot of like, I think uh, our big niche is that so many people are so tired of being lied to with extravagant claims uh, that they don't, a lot of people are just really ready made for the shit, you know, like imagine like buying cars and it's like, it's a crazy race car and then it blows up and it gets the most comfortable car ever. And then it's made of cardboard. And then finally someone's like, it's a fucking car. It's fine. It'll get you from point A, point a to point B. It has air conditioning and a coffee cup holder and you buy it. And it's like, wow, it actually has everything advertised. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it just wanted a fucking car to take me to work. And, and that's kind of what RP is, uh, is at the, at the baseline level that works and it's not gimmicky. Right, not ripping people off. Uh, Mike, do you have a time for a couple more questions? I know you were saying you had time until 12.45. 17 more minutes. 17 All minutes. All right, sir. I think Dave had a question for you. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, Mike, uh, how has uh, jujitsu added to your life? By injuring me. <laughs> <laughs> Subtract is adding negative numbers to my life. <laughs> Um, so it's a good question. I started doing jujitsu like seven years ago or something. Uh, and I'm now purple belt and I've taken a little step back away from jujitsu recently. I still do jujitsu, but I don't train it as hard as I used to because I'm really trying to elevate my bodybuilding to like the culmination of 20 years of training. Like over the next couple of years, I plan on just getting really, really absurdly massive and lean. Um, and jujitsu has to take a back seat. So I still do it. Still going to get a little bit better at it, but really a little bit, um, uh, of, a, of a decline there. Uh, guys, can you give me one second? Give me one second. My wife is looking. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> um, that would be perfect. Yeah. Kind of urgent. Yeah. It sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. So, uh, in any case, so jujitsu is still good, it's still a thing. What jujitsu gave me. Uh, man, this is starting to get real personal. So um, I'll just real talk. The ability to know that if shit hits the fan, that you're now in your element, especially for a young male, I think is a really cool. And it really feeds the soul in a way, maybe just for me, because I have an in insecure piece of shit and I got bullied a lot when I was a kid. But like, it, it used to be like, you know, you walk by a bar or something and there's some like weirdos outside and they talk to you. And I'm like, oh, like, I know I'm physically strong, but I haven't really been in a ton of fights and fights are so like, they're so random and crazy shit can happen. And, you know, there's a lack of confidence there where in a bunch of social situations, you're kind of like, I don't know, shit hits the fan. After seven years of jujitsu and like submitting people that won Pan Ams and shit, like... I don't give a fuck who the fuck you are outside of a bar. Like if, if you're on the bad side of things, I'm absolutely not going to fight you. But if you, if you like lunge to take me down, Oh my God, you get like an Apache attack helicopter arsenal. You have no idea. <laughs> right. Cause after you do combat sport for a while, you realize that people's average ability of fighting is like this insane delusion of grandiose mistakes um, it's, it's, it's like the matrix. It's like slow motion. You're like, Whoa, you're really, this is your plan. <laughs> okay. Sorry for what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> that knowledge I would say is one of the ways in which jiu-jitsu has changed my life for the better of just like this confidence, right? Like if shit hits the fan, like I'm so fucking golden. And look, yeah, the guy can pull on a knife, stab me in the eye. The guy can shoot me with a gun. That shit can happen anyway. Right. But you know, you can worry about that and not worry about that. And it's definitely made me no more confrontational, definitely less. But it's kind of one of these things, like if I'm walking with my wife and there's like a like psychotic homeless man, like yelling, like normally we'd be like, oh, and we'd switch sides and go on the other side of the street. Now we still do that. But it's like, look, if he comes over here, like this is just going to be a whole lot of fun um, versus <laughs> not for him, <laughs> maybe for him. <laughs> but it's just one of those things where it's, it's nice to it's nice to know in the back of your head um, yeah. that you can at least mount a defense uh, of yourself that you're proud of. Like, I'll put it to you this way. If I get fucked up in the street, that motherfucker earned that shit. Earned it. Good job. You did it. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's nice to have that uh, in the back pocket. It's also cool, cool to be good at something. Like, when I do jujitsu, I can give most people uh, trouble at this point um, that aren't, like, world champion black belts or something. And it's nice to be able to, like, have an ability that you can, like, do stuff with. Um, it's nice to, winning feels nice, but also being competent. You're like, I know this move. 
my coach and I practiced it a lot and watch on a human who doesn't want to be moved. I move him like I want. That feels incredible. Um, and it's not about bullying or, you know, imposing your will. It's like really about the art of it. So beautiful, beautiful experiences. Uh, phenomenal. That, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I, I always feel the same way um, because it just, it brings confidence, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. And I'm able to take that confidence into all areas of my life. Yo, so, you roll? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not th- I'm not as good as you, definitely. <laughs> and, you don't and, know and, how good I am. I probably suck. <laughs> and, I, and I do a lot, I do a lot of the, the Gracie stuff and all, but, but it, it really is. It, it, it's it, the confidence. I mean, as a life coach, I work with a lot of people. And sometimes when I work with veterans with addiction, I'm downtown 2 a.m. in Portland yeah. helping somebody. And I used to be, be afraid. I'm not afraid. Like you said, I just, I do my thing and um, it, it's awesome. And like, you know. I think a lot of people that would be, would be not attackers, but people who start shit with you, they can kind of tell emotionally when you're like, mm-hmm. you know, like they're like, hey, you, and you're like, what's up? And they're like, nah, never mind. <laughs> like, yeah. no, like, uh, you want to fight? Like, it's, sure. It's, <laughs> like, all, it's all about, it's all about the look in the eyes. You can tell. I, sure. I know. It's, it's like, I'm gay. And somebody says, well, aren't you worried about being gay bashed? I'm like, I'm hoping somebody's going to gay bash me. I will fuck away. <laughs> and I'll make shit extra gay for you because I know jujitsu. Now <laughs> Like, hey, did you beat up that gay guy? You're like, uh, no, I'm pretty sure I'm gay now. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I should have never hated it because it's been awesome. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how, how big, you know, I'm like four months out from a competition. I don't know how big, uh, you know, I had to say the old school word, phrase, muscle bound guy like me could, uh, could roll. So I feel like that'll come when I'm more cut or when I'm not doing a contest prep. So. I might have to try some jujitsu in the future. That sounds really Juj- look, If you're jacked, jujitsu comes easier. I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. Some of the weird flexible shit doesn't, but look, jujitsu has like this crazy arsenal of moves. You guys remember the Matrix where they're like, I need guns, lots of guns. And there's all these, the field of guns comes rushing in. That's the number of moves in jujitsu. You can tailor your shit to being muscle bound. People ask me that shit all the time. They're like, isn't your lack of flexibility a problem in jujitsu? I'm like, yeah, if I try to play 150 pounders inverted guard game, sure. But like I play a fucking game that was designed by my coach for my exact body type. And it's really exactly, it's mostly just pulling people's limbs apart, um, things like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, like King Kong when he pulled the dinosaurs like jaw. That's mostly <laughs> So I'm great at fighting giant apes. But um, so, but, but in, in reality, you know, your body type, um, you can tailor moves to it. And I'll tell you this, 99 out of 100 people who have black belts and are very good, if you're like, hey, do you want to roll with a skinny guy who knows sort of white belt jujitsu? Do you want to roll with this jack dude? They're not going to pick the jack dude. Like I had guys tell me when I was a white belt, I had a, um, a gentleman, a super awesome guy, but he's a black belt now. He was like a purple belt back then. He just tooled my ass up. Carlos was his name from Kansas City Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he was like, dude, when you know, learn technique, we're all fucked. <laughs> and he was serious. And, uh, you know, so being jacked, to answer your sort of question or suspicion, being jacked helps. It just fucking helps. Being strong makes you inconvenient. You learn you learn a year or two jiu-jitsu and all of a sudden a bunch of moves don't work on you anymore or you have to have like a real killer proficiency with moves. You say, there's this buffer zone you can't get away with. Like if you do a sweep on someone, which is when they're on top of you and you flip them over to be on top, if they're really weak and they have a certain decent baseline of jiu-jitsu, if you fuck up the sweep a little bit, you can make up for it with strength and be like, ah, I'm just going to do this. Fuck technique. If they're really strong... <laughs> That shit doesn't work anymore. You go, uh, I have a bunch of people try to sweep me with their bullshit. And I'm just like, uh, nope. And they're like, this is going to suck. And I'm like, yep, sure is. Right. So <laughs> don't let people tell you like, oh, you're muscle bound or whatever. Bullshit. That's their problem. When you learn jujitsu the right way, you being muscle bound is a fucking problem they have to deal with, not the other way around. Yeah, you develop all, all, the, all the benefits yeah. from hyper, all the benefits from uh, those good old years spent doing hypertrophy. Just 100%, man. Jack and tan. All those curls you did in the mirror, you thought was just because you like an American psycho type of thing. You love watching yourself sweat. It turns out you're just getting better at jujitsu the whole time. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of muscle bound and and building muscle, um, how, what are the differences for you when you're training clients that are on the super sports supplements versus uh, not enhanced? What are the what are the considerations you take in mind when you're you're building programs? Minor tiny, tiny. Um, a really good analogy that gets you probably 90% of the way of the differences. If someone's on special sports supplements versus not, is it's like training someone with good genetics versus decent genetics. Like, like you got a guy with great genetics. How do you train him differently? Most coaches are like, I do. You don't, you just, they just get better results. <laughs> you know, like it's the same basic approach. So same basic approach. Um, 
the, the, it's just change a little bit when they're like cycling onto stuff or off of stuff or they're in a pre-contest mode where they start to take stuff that dries them out. And then like there's this asymmetry where some of the drugs that you take coming close to a show make you psychologically and physiologically strong as fuck. But at the same time, you're like taking shitload of anti-estrogens or whatever in your body water, intramuscular or inter, uh, inter and intramuscular water, connective tissue water is starting to decline. So like you look at a guy and he's like, I can bench 405 for 10 right now. And you're like, yeah, but your pec's gonna fly off the bone. They're like, yeah, it is. So let's not do that. So I think one of the big differences I can speak to is like, you gotta really restrain people. And people think like, I'm gonna take steroids and train extra hard. Like, yeah, if you wanna get hurt, you can do that. But let the shit work under. complex. 100%. I mean, you know, most guys, not all, most people that take the shit to begin with take it for all the fucking wrong reasons anyway. So, um, and it makes you physically feel like you're like, ah, like it makes you feel like Broly, you know, like all the time. And then you're apt to do really dumb shit. So I think the art of coaching people who are on the shit is like, hey, how do you feel? They're like, amazing. Like, okay, we're going to put that aside and we're going to just add five pounds to the bar today. I know you can add 25 and injure yourself. We're going to add five and then we're going to add five and then we're going to add five. And slowly over time, by adding, backing off, adding, backing off, you're going to be enormous and safe. And another one is like really extra good technique. Sometimes you do some pauses on the chest, for example, like a bench, pause, 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 as opposed to doing more dynamically, because a lot of times, especially when people are starting special sports supplements, the ratio of their muscle size and strength to their tendon size and strength is really, really different. Um, and it's not favorable. So you're now big enough muscularly to really, really hurt yourself. So you got to take extra precautions. So guys that are training properly with special sports supplements look much better technically, and they're much more conservative. And someone's like, hey, man, that set looked easy. You should have done more. It's like, no, I shouldn't have. I'm going to do a little bit more next week. And then the week after that, and then I'll be Superman four weeks later versus like, you can just do more now. Cause you know, like, so like I've been spotted by people before in the gym, we all have, and you will all train like not completely retarded. So we'll do like RIR training. We like do two true reps in reserve. Like, okay, I'm squatting 405. I'm going to hit it for 12. I'm going to rack. Like I'm sure we've all been the place where you like finish your set and the guy's like, let's go more. And you're just rack. And you're like, thank you. I could have done more. I'm actually not in here to show off to myself every day. I'm here building something. You know, it's like, it's like a contractor who like put his last nail in for the day and he's going to come back tomorrow and install the roof. Some guys like pops out of nowhere. He's like, you can do more. You can install the roof now. You're like, yeah, it's getting dark though. <laughs> like you can do it. Like, I know I can. I'm not here to prove that to myself. I actually just want to do a good job. So I'm going to wait till tomorrow. That whole attitude really pays dividends when you're on uh, special stuff because if you just follow your ego and you're a drug-free 125 pounds, motherfucker, you ain't getting hurt. Getting hurt with what? You don't have the muscle power to hurt yourself. Um, how many small females get hurt traumatic? How many quad tears have you ever seen in a 120-pound woman? I mean, it's almost unheard of. And there's a reason for that. Just not strong enough relative to their connective tissues. Look, if your quads get fucking super big uh, and your tendons aren't growing nearly as fast, there's a liability there. And especially if you're ju juiced up and jacked up and you're like, ah, I want it. Like, okay. Uh, what is it? Someone said you, you know, one rep isn't going to make you, but it can break you. And that's something you need to really let sink in when you're on, on stuff. Yeah, um, By the way, there's people, Trevor, there's people walking in the background of yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> target, target rich environment. Is that it's what you're very, hunting? Very, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, I know you have, we have a few, we have a few minutes left. Um, I just want to ask what's next on the horizon for, Mike is Rattel, and I know you're doing the bodybuilding, the the content. What's what do you got? Um, what do you got spinning there? So the book is getting published, the hypertrophy book. That's going to be neat. And the next is just more YouTube. So Renaissance Periodization YouTube. Um, if you guys aren't subscribed, go and check it out. If you like it, subscribe. If you don't, mm -hmm. just toss to go fuck ourselves, and we'll stop bothering you. Um, we're, uh, <laughs> we'll just quit. We're going to dismember the company for you. Um, but we're, so like, uh, we used to have this thing called RP plus where we would put a bunch of videos on there and tons of content. It was a pay site. It was like 10 bucks a month. And we realized that like, if we just did it for free, we'd have like a free advertising platform for our paid products. And, uh, to be honest, I think a lot of knowledge, um, it, not should be free, but like can be free and people just want more and they pay you and you get does sort of double paid that way. So now we're transitioning to YouTube. We were at 45K subscribers last March when we really started beefing up YouTube because we're at a big company. So we had just some residual subscribers. 
And then now we have 128K as of this recording. Wow, um, It's November. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we're just adding tons Congrats. of content all the time. And it's just going to be courses on top of courses on top of series. Everything about hypertrophy, fatigue, nutrition, training. We're just going to put out high quality content for a real, real long time. So if you want you know, to learn shit, our YouTube is the place where we're going to be sort of uh, gassing it up over the next while. Yeah, so far, Josh got me into your uh, lectures on YouTube. So I really appreciate those lectures. So far, Very I've learned cool. more doing cardio watching your YouTube channel than I have in my graduate courses. So, <laughs> so you guys are doing something right. You better edit the fucking shit out because your grad program is going to find out about that. Uh, no, I told you. I told you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I have been through graduate programs. I am actually a graduate professor right now. And I, I have an insight being both a lifter and a graduate professor. I know what people really want to learn. So we're putting that out. You know, like, are, is there going to be a research methods YouTube course? Probably not, right? Um, but is there going to be a course on hypertrophy and program design, et cetera? Of course. Um, and I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, th the reason we put out the YouTube content is so people can learn. And uh, one guy made a, every now and again, it gets funny comments on YouTube. One guy said, where was this 20 years ago? And I wanted to be like, I was 16 years old and confused and sexually frustrated in high school. <laughs> I don't know how else to answer that. But it's just, it's cool. <laughs> like when I started out, um, you know, when, when Dave and I started out training like 1906 or whatever, how fucking old we are, right? Uh, we, you know, we didn't have any of this shit. You know, YouTube physically didn't exist when I was like young. And um, it's just cool to be able to give out knowledge and just same YouTube, same ideas behind RP. We just want to put out good stuff so people can learn real shit instead of getting fucked in the ass by scammers and all these other people. Because there's so many people on YouTube that just lie. Like, I don't even say it's compulsively, it's on purpose uh, for a living. And, you know, you want to come to RP and a bunch of other stuff like it. Jeff Nippert's channel is great, 3DMJ great channel and just there's like a youtube community where people don't lie to you and you actually get jacked following the advice and we just try to be a small part of that and Appreciate your it. book's coming out the scientific principles of hypertrophy training that's coming out um this year mm, in in a few weeks mm -hmm. just in time for Ooh. christmas man we're, we're gonna buy it's that and I, I have a i have a two-part question so i know mm -hmm. you've been training a lot you're getting leaner um do you have a bodybuilding show coming up because we're planning on sending you a t-shirt and i gotta know what what kind of size shirt do you want? 2X. Um, 2X. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do a show. I've got to get lean first. But right now I'm pretty fucking close. So maybe I'll do a show. Uh, we'll see. Uh, shows, you got to drive out for the shit. You got to register. and It's fucking super annoying. And also with COVID, God damn, is that shit annoying? Um, you know, because you're like, oh, yeah, like you got to register at this time. And nobody can come to your show. And you have to wear a mask. And uh, it's just like a huge pain in the ass. So we'll, we'll see. Um, uh, very likely, I'll, I'll be starting to compete more often from now on. But um, yeah, you know, we'll see if I get lean, I'll, I'll do a show. But in any case, um, yeah, like I'm holding a bunch of water right now because again, special sports supplements, do all kinds of weird stuff. But I'm, I'm, uh, you guys see this on my Instagram, like I have glute striations and weird shit going on. I'm lean to the point where like um, any show I watch, I think about what kind of food they're eating. And that, that's how lean I am, right? So like I'll watch a show. <laughs> Like we show, we're, my, my wife and I are watching like the documentary of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And the only thing I can think about is like, oh, Chicago Italian food, so good. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's nothing to do with basketball. Um, and one of, one of the episodes, Jordan, Jordan ordered a pizza because he was hungry and like, maybe they poisoned it on purpose. This was like in Utah or whatever, and they were playing the jazz. And I was thinking to myself when I saw that, I was like, I would still eat that fucking poison pizza. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'm getting pretty I've lean. been there. I've been yeah, there. For sure, so it's terrible. I, I, I know you got to go, man. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we will be um, posting this up uh, one week from today. Um, we'll tag you. We'll tag you guys in it. And tag you in it um, with our blue collar fitness uh, Instagram, and uh, they hopefully can do this again. And if you approve, you can you can tag us in your story. So. You can listen to the yeah, listen to it first before you decide. That would be <laughs> great. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's there's a gentleman that has just approached Trevor's vehicle. This is right next to. It. Looks like we're gonna go out for <laughs> the evening hunt. So. Oh, I see. Okay, I was it's like, there's a man behind your yeah. car. It's very close to your car. Get that. Well, I got I got a piece out, and I appreciate I appreciate you, dude. I I just soaked up all that information. That was that was incredible. I'm definitely gonna play this one over again. This one's this one's awesome.
Well, thank you so much for having me. Go kill things, man. Good yeah. shooting. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to. Nothing cuddly. Get though. the proteins. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, guys, thank you so much for having me on. Take care. Thank Absolutely. you for, for coming on, Mike. Thanks we really appreciate guys. it. Let's bye do bye. this again. Okay. All righty, for sure. Bye, bye. Okay. See you, Mike. Yeah, sorry, guys. I actually got to go. That's okay. We'll, guys. we'll close it out. All right. No worries. Love you, Trev. That was episode 24. Uh, we went over quite a bit in that episode. I think I had about 60 more questions and I actually got to ask Dr. Mike in that episode in our, 60 our uh, <laughs> outline, but hopefully we'll have Dr. Mike back on. Um, we went over uh, Dragon Ball Z. His uh, favorite character. Quite a bit, which is also my favorite anime ever. Um, <laughs> we went over some interesting programming Um basically the, the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of some program for all you guys interested in how to build programs. Um, and then uh, talked about Dr. Mike's new book, the RP Diet app. Uh, we even talked about super sports supplements briefly. So um, hope you guys enjoyed that episode and uh, we'll see you guys next time for episode 25 and we're out.